on the slight delay here. Uh, I was just finishing up recording a hackathon workshop uh, for our for the Shade Perpetual Swap uh, hackathon. Phenomenal, side tangent, phenomenal workshop um, hosted by Shade developers. Um, yeah, excited to switch topics and focus on stablecoins. I did not click the record option for this, so glad that Terra Space is in, is in here right now. Um, they're, they're on top of the ball for everything. So glad they'll be recording and we'll be able to, we'll be able to post this later for anyone who's interested. Um, going to be keeping this pretty informal today. This is just like basically me. I, I, I think about stable coins damn near all day. Uh, <laughs> mostly thinking about risk and stuff, but I do let myself think about uh, some, some of the, more positive aspects uh, of stable coins as well. There's, I mean, we're here for an upside. We're here for the, the positive value additions that these tools provide us. Um, so try not to dwell in the, uh, in the risk and like, uh, let's say the, the, the stuff that most people don't really care about or don't ever want to think about. Someone's got to do it. But uh, Trix will be joining us in just a minute and then we'll get this thing kicked off. Um, like I said, we're going to be keeping it super informal, try and keep it fun while also spreading a wee bit of knowledge. And just like that, the man, the myth, the legend joins us. Trix, if you want to request, I'll, I'll bring you up. Hello, can you hear me? Yes, sir. Can you hear me? Yep. I just had to Sweet. put my headphones. All good. All good. Appreciate you joining today. This is... Uh, this is an awesome way to like shift shift gears for me midday. I've had a today's been busy as hell, and like I was uh, DMing you earlier, we just got done with a our first dev focused uh, hackathon workshop for a perpetual swap hackathon we're hosting right now. Nice. Awesome. Went a little bit over, um, but that's that's great for participants. Uh, yeah. <laughs> not so great for me keeping my time and schedule, <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> appreciate it yeah this will be this will be fun I, I was thinking we keep it fairly informal try and keep it uh fun and entertaining while spreading a wee bit of knowledge yeah that works for me sweet well, we've already got a decent amount of people in here this is uh, like i said this is informal this is just us kind of chilling and talking so people will just be in and out of this um and i i did not hit the record option before I created this space, but luckily TerraSpace is here. So if anyone really wants to go back and listen to us uh, talking shit or <laughs> spreading knowledge, uh, you'll be able to access it through TerraSpaces. There's some some real OGs for the uh, for the Twitter space recordings. So I know you and I 
tricks. I've talked in the past and um, I've done a decent amount of, of background background research on CDT and membrane. Um, but for anyone who's, you know, in the audience who isn't aware of what membrane and CDT um, are, can you give us a little bit of background, especially in the context, we're talking about novel stable coins here today. Yep. And CDT is an awesome example of that. So could you give us just a little bit of background? Uh, yeah. So uh, I guess the the less novel portions of CDT, it's it's a CDP back stable coin. Um, so, you know, similar to DAI in that sense. Um, I guess the more, I guess, novel or more experimental uh, portions of CDT are its floating peg. Similar to Rai, um, not as not as reflexive as Rai, but uh, the peg is floating. Um, and then we also have uh, we also have liquidation pools similar to Orca um, on Kujira, so people can deposit the stable and bid for any liquidations on the on the platform or uh, on the protocol. Um, yeah, we have. Um, Multi-collateral bundles as well. So instead of single asset, uh, instead of single asset collateral for your position, you can add or subtract any amount or any collateral assets that are available uh, on membrane. Um, yeah, there, there's a bunch of like, there's a bunch of mechanisms that uh, won't get any light right now. But yeah, like there's a like dynamic interest rates and stuff, but those don't really affect uh, anything until um, you know capital gets larger because like a hundred dollars nobody cares about one percent interest rate but uh, in the long term those interest rates should help keep CDT stabilized especially as uh, stables in general are used more in vaults uh, and abstracted from the user so they're going to be profit focused so changes in profit are going to be uh they're going to be more responsive too that's awesome appreciate the background um and then if you want to if you want to give a little background yourself feel free to um you don't have to if you don't want to yeah i mean something quick uh i got into crypto in 2021 got into DeFi through terra um yeah i just i was really interested in uh well first i got into crypto for like investment purposes but so i was really interested in just like reading about all the all the different tokens and all the different um chains and whatever but uh, yeah i got into terra fell in love with uh the vision for decentralized stable coins and then lost a bunch of money but you know couldn't let the couldn't let the vision end there so decided it was uh cosmos was a great space to um to start a new, uh, they needed a stable coin. Uh, the space needed a stable coin, and the market was open. So, yeah. Fuck yeah, dude! Love that, <laughs> love that story. Luckily, I my my interest did not have to be rebirthed from the ashes of Terra. <laughs> yeah. uh, my my formal uh, participation in this ecosystem. When I say formal, I mean like actually contributing in a meaningful way to, to existing new protocols mm -hmm. um, didn't start until really post-Terra crash, like two months after post-Terra crash. So luckily I got to skip a lot of that, but I, I'm sure that there were a lot of lessons learned in that that you've gotten to 
you know, take with you along the way. Um, so when people think about stable coins and they think about the intrinsic properties of stable coins, you're likely thinking of peg composition, thinking about stability, you're thinking about solvency, and then maybe as just like a last category, like a catch-all would be like novelty. Um, so specifically, um, talk, well, actually, before we get down into this, uh, we're, we're talking about floating peg stables. And so we're mostly referring to peg composition and kind of as an extension, the novelty of the design. Um, I'll just give a real quick background on Silk. Uh, for anyone who's not aware, it looks like I'm familiar with most of the people in here, but for anyone who wants a very quick refresher, um, Silk is a private by default over collateralized uh, stable coin that is pegged to a basket of currencies and commodities. And so as the value of these peg components change relative uh, to each other, that changes the peg price uh, of Silk, which is what causes it to be a, a floating peg. And we did this on purpose to be able to um, to be able to better preserve the purchasing power, assuming that our stability mechanisms work, being able to keep market price close to peg price, users who are holding this will be able to experience an appreciation in purchasing power, or at the minimum, a preservation of purchasing power. Um, so that's what kind of makes Silk a floating peg. Um, so, you know, when we're thinking about CDT, uh, what what does that floating peg look like? Like what actually creates this uh, the the movement in the peg? Yeah, I was I was gonna bring that up if you didn't ask. Um, because I guess the difference. So silk and CDT are both um both floating peg or in the floating peg category. But um silks, I mean, you'll you would know more. So correct me if I'm wrong. But silk's floating peg, as you said, um changes because the value of the assets in the basket change or the uh, value in the assets um in the peg composition change um but cdt only has a single asset in the peg composition as of right now which is a uh, us dollar so um the way that the way that the floating or the way that the peg the peg floats for cdt um there's there's a redemption there's a redemption rate so like similar to interest rate in a percentage it's a it's a rate that um increases or decreases uh the redemption rate or the peg um based off the distance from price so it's basically a way to incentivize borrow borrowers to um to stabilize the price is just another stability mechanism um so like if, if peg was for example if peg was five percent over or not peg if market price was five percent over the peg um the the redemption rate would be negative. So the LTVs for borrowers would go down, which allows them to take more risk and mint more of the stable. Um, and that is in, in the hope that they mint more and sell it on the market to reduce the peg. Um, and yeah, uh, vice versa. If the market price is below peg, um, LTVs would go up, which encourages borrowers to buy um, CDT on the market and repay their debt, um, which would bring the market price back to peg. Uh, but to start, there's only, to start there's only negative rates because, um, and actually not, not negative rates, there's only positive rates. So the peg can only go up in value because um, 
the meme around a dollar stablecoin is pretty strong and having a peg below a dollar or like having like if you had a peg that was 96 cents it wouldn't look stable even if it was a like most stable stable coin in the market so uh we don't want to go uh that direction um and we got the we got the floating peg rate or the redemption rate changes from rye but they do um basically all of their stability is based off of them changing the peg based off of the um the mechanisms of the LTV changing for the borrowers or the incentives from them from that mechanism so their their rate changes or their peg changes at, at a way faster rate than CDTs ever ever would i think i think there's i think um actually don't know where the price is right now but there was a point where the price was $2.30 and rise started at $3.14 so like if if CDT had started at three dollars and fourteen cents, for it to get to two dollars, it would probably take like a hundred years. So it, it's uh yeah, it's not at the same scale as that. Um, so you probably wouldn't even notice it. It's just a little uh, addition to the cost, but it's um it's a great way to add some flexibility to the stable. Yeah, I'm glad you I'm glad you provided that context and what you're talking about with like you you could have. You wouldn't want to choose like a peg price below a dollar because, like you said, that the, the concept that easy unit of account uh, uh, and you know the nice whole number of one is a really nice starting point, and and below it, there's just like some weird psychological effects. Yeah. Like you said, even if it's you know ultra stable, people see that sub one dollar, and you know they get worried. That's actually one of the reasons why. I mean, the same thing could have been said about silk, right? We could have instantiated the the silk peg at, you know, almost any price. But we wanted to, you know, including below one dollar, we actually started it at a dollar and five cents, um, just so it was enough for people to recognize or one to not see something uh, like a peg price below a dollar, but also um, provide enough differentiation uh, between a dollar, like an actual dollar peg statement. Yeah, peg. yeah. I think that's smart too, because you can see like the store value, uh, yeah, mechanism at work. Yeah, and something else you mentioned, uh, we there's a whole other interesting conversation that can be had relating to peg composition and, and you know the the risk associated with uh, your peg components, um, which is which is interesting. Silk is uh, silk at least is uniquely positioned to be able to. Uh, change its peg composition so to be a little bit more reflexive if there was ever any risks associate you know it, risks that come in a variety of different uh, forms and fashions mm -hmm. but uh, being able to be a bit more reflexive about that um, is that pot like does does CDT have a reflexive component where if you wanted to change you know that component like if let's say you wanted to add euro in there or or create like a euro pegged version of cdt like is that possible um yeah from from well it's not there's no um there's no like process in the protocol where you can like execute and change the peg right now i mean okay i guess online but what i'm gonna what i was gonna say is um i'm pretty sure that any peg or any floating peg stable can change its denomination if you just change the oracle 
and then make sure that the new price is equal to the old price or is equal to the old price um, in a new denomination. Um, but like you would need to, yeah, you would need to, yeah, you basically just need to change the Oracle and then change the, the redemption price in the, um, in the contract. So I'm pretty sure it's possible, um, but like the, the process and step-by-step -step is not automated. Um, but uh, yeah, I was talking to people from Rye about that too, and I'm pretty sure it's the, it's the same concept. But um, like that also comes that also like comes from my my hate for uh, for hard pegs because if you have a hard peg stable, you actually can't. Um, well, hard peg plus a PSM, but we'll get to the PSM. But if you have if you have that combination, you actually can't change your peg at all. And if you change your peg, you, the entire protocol is insolvent. So like. Yeah, it's it's a good it's it's a good mechanism. Yeah, it's, it, it's interesting. Silk, without going too much into this, Silk has the ability to change its peg composition through um, through governance. So, you know, we'd mostly be looking at this from a risk perspective. Mm -hmm. But I guess you could also say, like, hey, one of our peg components is drastically underperforming relative to its expected performance. Um, we want to replace that uh, part of the peg composition. So like, let's say Bitcoin was too volatile um, and we wanted to reduce its uh, impact on peg price. You know, we could um, add in another store value that, that's slightly more stable. Or let's say you wanted to add a commodity that isn't available right now. Um, like it gets added to oracles in the future, like whether it's oil or, or wheat or just, you know, whatever. Yeah. Let your mind go crazy here. Um, that would be possible in the future, which is which is kind of cool because you know, like like I mentioned at the beginning, I think about risk all day long, uh, and with how active it seems like uh, regulatory agencies are right now, you know, being able to be more reflexive and not needing to to use that reflexivity is better than needing to be reflexive and not being yeah. able to do that um, like can't necessarily predict the future but just having a way to adapt to whatever is happening in the future is is good for your you know long-term sustainability yeah it's also um uh something that'd be cool i feel like it'd be easier to do with silk um just because it just seems it seems more into the narrative but like technically if you can change the peg you could you can alter the the monetary properties of the stable uh depending on the market cycle i'm not sure how you would uh actually determine what part of the cycle you're in um but that's not the point <laughs> basically though like if you could change the peg to have like more store value in a bear market and um like better medium or and be a better medium exchange in the bull market that'd be that'd be pretty cool um and yeah that's something you can't do with any other stable yeah, but like you said, you know, being able to identify yeah. what part of the market you're in is going to be yeah, difficult. That's now a million dollar question. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If we could answer that, I think we could make more money just by <laughs> trading exactly. the market than rather trying to. <laughs> but uh, so, so I think let I want to shift just a little bit uh, talking about stability. Um, as this is a, it's a quality that's you know, definitely intrinsic to the stable coin category of tokens. It's legit in the name of the type of the token. Um, stability is one of the most important factors for stable coins as 
stable coins are meant to maintain, like keep a stable purchasing power. And, and usually this translates to just being able to maintain a close relationship between uh, the market, pi- market price and peg mm-hmm. price. Um, so for, for CDT, uh, what, what stability mechanisms exist to maintain that? You had mentioned uh, redemptions and, and Silk has a, a very similar stability mechanism as well. Uh, for collateral redemptions, but um, you give us just like a quick overview of what uh, stability mechanism CDT has. Uh, yes, let me just bring up this uh, this sheet so I don't forget anything. <laughs> oh, dude! Before I go on Twitter Spaces, I got all my time. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, like, I guess intrinsic to the to the CDP um, mechanism itself, um, there there are stability, um, I guess, properties. Um, so like, well, I guess I guess the actually the properties more for this for the CDP is the solvency properties. So I'm not going to go into that. Um, but basically for stability, um, above the peg, you'll we'll have rates. We have rates that trend to zero. Well, okay. So above the peg, you want to increase supply or you want to attempt to increase increase supply since only the minters can do that. Um, you can't really force it. If you do it as the protocol, you might get into some uh, some issues. But I think you can you might be able to finagle that. But um, above the peg, you want to attract and increase supply to reduce the peg. So we have uh, reduced rates. So r- rates will just trend to zero. Um, and then as before, the peg will uh, well the LTVs will will decrease. So that also allows for more supply to get on the market. And then the I guess the main uh the main lever is the amount of fiat based collateral you have or like collateral on par with the uh, with the peg denomination. Ours just happens to be USD. Um those are the easiest to use as collateral. So those are the things that um will attract the most supply. Um so for example, um USK didn't have or doesn't have any fiat collateral. So initially their peg was or their market price was way above peg because there was no um, inherent way to reduce the peg uh, because all the other collateral types were higher risk. So people weren't um, collateralizing, minting, and adding supply to the market. So that's why having fiat-based uh, collaterals is important, but uh, they can also add a lot of risk, or they do add a lot of risk to the system. So you have to be a little, a little more careful with how you use them. Um, so yeah, that's above the peg. Below the peg, it's vice versa for rates and the LTV. LTVs go up. Um, when I say LTVs go up, that sounds dangerous, but when they go up, like they they'll go up like one to two percent in a year, max. Um, yeah. So like, once again, you don't have to worry about that. But that's based off that's based off the peg. Um, rates will go up as well, and. Yeah, so th- that's the same as above the peg, it's just vice versa. But then also, when you have liquidation pools, um, everything in the protocol prices CDT at the peg price. So um, liquidation pools, if you if you buy CDT, um, if you buy CDT on the market five percent below peg, um, and then bid for like ten percent, or you bid ten percent premium on liquidations, you're technically getting. 15% on whatever collateral um whatever collateral you end up getting or uh yeah basically liquidating so those act as another 
another reason for the market to are below peg um, and secure some profits. And then, as you mentioned before, we have redemptions, which are user opt-in. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, we have redemptions, which are user opt-in, which allow, which basically allow, allow the market to sell um, DPEG CDT to um, our users uh, for collateral. This helps users because they get to repay their debt for a, uh, a lower price or a better deal, and it's harder for it's harder for most users to actually arb um, stable markets. So having it having like an automatic function uh, will work well for them. Um, the reason I paused on the reason I paused on um, the user opt-in part of redemptions is because. The I guess the biggest stablecoin that uses redemptions right now is uh, liquidity, but theirs is kind of a forced redemption when necessary. And personally, I, I don't I don't really like that because if I'm a user and you just redeem my tokens, I'm gonna get upset, even if it's necessary. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's above and below peg. Uh, we can talk about the ARP cycle too, but yeah, that's uh, that's a little more out there. Yeah, I was going to say stability and solvency are interesting because they're like somewhat intertwined. You know, when people think about maintaining, uh, maintaining, uh, well, above, above peg is a much easier cycle or like much easier position to, to fix, right? Especially if you have those, uh, the ability to use fiat to be able to mint out this stable coin, um, where if you have stable, like, for silk, if silk's peg is a dollar five and silk is at a dollar ten right now in the market, I can take a stable coin, mint out silk, immediately sell it uh, back to uh, you know my preferred stable coin that I collateralized um, and, and capture this arbitrage opportunity that helps drive silk's peg price down. And um, but then you know on the other side where silk is below price, generally this is something where the the borrowers are really the the people that are helping maintain this price. Sure, people can go and buy it. You're like speculating on its ability to return to, um, you know, return the market price to return to its peg price. But really, the borrowers in in Silk's case are the ones who can capture this arbitrage. Where um, if you borrowed Silk and Silk's market price was at its uh, peg price, and you sold that into something, whether like your single-sided liquidity providing, your, um, you know, you want to use it to leverage loop an asset. So you take that silk and you go buy a staking derivative. Um, you know, if silk's under peg, you can then take whatever asset you, you know, whatever you did with your silk, if you transferred it into another asset, use that asset to buy silk uh, below peg price and then pay off debt um, at a discount, you know. Um, so effectively, if you were to pay off your full position um, buying silk that's at a discount, you're going to have uh, extra silk that's left over uh, effectively. Um, so that's your that's like your profit. Um, in silks uh, or in, in silks case, as far as redemptions are concerned, um, you know when I mentioned borrowers are the people who are really um, providing this these arbitrage opportunities it's true for above peg just as it is below peg but it's more it's more applicable uh 
for for borrowers in the sense like existing borrowers are the ones who are going to be helping orb that below uh, peg price. Um, but Shade Protocol has a, a permissioned uh, redemption mechanism that effectively allows uh, the protocol to redeem collateral, um, redeem silk for collateral, and um, in order to then take that collateral, buy back silk, and would loop this uh, for a redemption process. And um, the only the only vaults that this would ever be performed on would be those um, those stablecoin vaults, yeah. right? Because that's where the stablecoins that you're receiving that that collateral that you're redeeming those. Liquidity pools, your stable swap pools, those are going to have your maximum depth of liquidity when you're trading. So if you're trying to complete this ARB cycle to help uh, get the market price back to peg, you're going to be most efficient to do that through a uh, through, through a stablecoin vault. And throughout this process, there is a um, there is a fee that is assessed for these redemptions, so that those who are being redeemed against are always made whole. Um, and this is especially true in stablecoin vaults where the value of your collateral isn't changing, right? Like if I'm depositing Bitcoin or ETH, I might be still speculating on the price of the ETH or the Bitcoin underneath, right? I want to be able to potentially borrow more in the future if Bitcoin ETH goes up. Uh, with a stablecoin, you're expecting a stable value. So, and you're receiving um, the, the redemption fee that is um, assessed and given to those being redeemed against that is also in a stable token. So you're in a position that you the, these borrowers always remain whole. And this is kind of seen as a, we'll say not last resort stability mechanism, but the protocol wants borrowers to, to do this odd cycle. Like we want them to make the profit. This is a, a re- a stability mechanism that is effective that can be effectively used if there is a lack of appetite by borrowers to actually arb that that peg price. So I just wanted to provide a little bit of clarity there on uh, on just the additional stability mechanism for silk. Oh yeah, just, but it's. I was just gonna say. Go ahead. I was just gonna say one comment. Um, is that it's it's important to it's important to let the like the users of your protocol earn the money that your protocol um, enables or like earn the revenues or the, I guess, the economic opportunities that your protocol enables because um, like, let's say, let's say um, Shade, Shade earns everything, um, like ARBs everything, you know, does all the interest rate ARBs or whatever. Like, yeah, Shade itself um, would be like very valuable or like membrane itself would be very valuable, but like, it's it's a lot better for the long term uh, sustainability and like resilience of the tokens or the the products that you're that you're offering um, to have like outside parties um, be aligned even if they aren't they may not be holding the token. Um, so yeah, yeah, I think it's important that you you mentioned that uh, borrowers are like primarily the ones that are going to be using it. Hundred percent and. You know, the we've only used this stability mechanism one time in the past, and I put out, or I think we put out a uh, a Twitter thread about it. Effectively, we just like I think we are at, at a certain point, Silk had depegged close to like eight percent, like a spike down to eight percent, and the protocol are approximately like one and a half percent of that. 
Um, and after, and after, uh, after that, you know, borrowers, you know, ate up the rest of the, ate up the rest of the arms. So it's seen as like a really interesting, um, initiation of an arb cycle, so to speak, but also like an interesting psychological uh, observation where it's like when borrowers recognize that there is another potential stability mechanism that could um, effectively reduce the amount of profit they could take, it. I imagine this tightens the, the profit windows that people are willing to bite at. Right. Yeah, sure. And this is again, like, am I willing to let it depeg to 10? Because borrowers, they, they ultimately don't really care. Whenever you mint a stable coin, you're effectively short that stable coin um, if you're doing something with it. So, you know, if it depegs 10%, 20%, 30%, and they get to go back and buy that in, now they've just got a bigger and bigger discount. Right. So, in some sense, it's like a, a PVP style arena where it's like everyone's just waiting. To see, <laughs> to see when someone's willing to to take that our profit um so it's at least from my perspective it's it's a really interesting um live experiment where you're getting to see like what what are the risk thresholds and what are the profit margins for our borrowers or like what what are their arbitrary profit margins that they're effectively um choosing so yeah it also gives them like extra assurances uh, to the community and just holders in general because like you know the portfolio yeah yeah because i mean you're <clears throat> i would assume this is correct for pretty much all over collateralized stable coins but like the amount of people that buy and hold or like buy to use your stable coin are going to be way higher than the amount of people who are borrowing yeah your stable coin, right and so in the large part, the people you're like the people who feel the brunt of a DPEG stablecoin are those people who bought it, not necessarily the borrowers. The borrowers at least have an avenue to uh, to arb profits, uh, but those who are buying it, you know, they are left with less of an option. If that makes yeah. sense, I don't know if I explained. And that. this is like Probably. this could be counteracted with. Um... This is kind of where uh, USG was going with the the too big to fail, um, too big to fail vision. Where if you're if the use for the stablecoin is wide enough, then um, like the general market and just like prospective holders will do the R for you, even if they aren't borrowing, just because just because of the assurance that it will repay. So like it's a, it's the same way that when people saw USDC um, DPEG, a lot of people bought it because uh, they knew it was going to repeg at some point and you catch a, I think it was like an 11% um, ARP. So like if you if you get to a size where like you're trusted in the market, then like these mechanisms aren't necessary. Um, but like if you rely on the trust only, then you end up, you end up in USD situation. So you want to have like this foundation of, of mechanisms that allow the, the stable coin to um, contract and expand by itself. Yep. That, yeah. That's a perfect, uh, perfect ex extra piece of context. I don't know. Do you think it'd be worthwhile talking about like how centralized stable coins provides, you know, peg stability, um, like honoring redemptions one-to-one -one into fiat backing like USDC, USDT. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it would, it's there. Like all stables are essentially, um, using the same mechanism. 
Yeah, except it's a lot harder. <laughs> like, for you to be able to do that redemption for USDC, USDT, you have to have, like, an account with Circle or yeah, Tether, exactly. right? Like, there's not an interface I can just go to and be like, yeah, I want my fiat, please. Yeah, it's, it's all permission. Like, that's the... That's one of like the biggest value props for um for having a huge decentralized permissionless like uncensorable stablecoin is that um I mean hopefully depending on the, the protocol that that wins um like all the value created uh like the possible redemption the arbs um I guess like the because like even USCC is getting billions of dollars millions of dollars worth of uh, treasury yields like basically any any profit that you can make from the stable um will end up going to um the open market and getting directed back to users or to products that end up benefiting the users um just general experience so i mean that's that's a selfish value prop for for decentralized stable coins in regard of all the all the risk management and um yeah, the hedging from centralized entities. But yeah, I just, yeah, basically just, uh, I guess, distributing the value more fairly, evenly, equally. Um, yeah. You could say it's like a democratized uh, or, or more equitable way of distributing uh, value created by the system. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting. I was... I forget, maybe this conversation came up last time I was thinking about Silk DPEG and redemptions, but like, it's interesting that you can, like these are tools, while they're, they're primarily used to create these, um, you know, stable, uh, these stable tokens that preserve purchasing power, they also create systems in which people can make money by helping maintain that stability. Mm -hmm. So it's really an interesting kind of push and pull sort of dynamic between those using it and those who are purely seeking to maximize maximize profit and um you know they recognize the, an opportunity with these systems yeah that's the, that's the best so, part about uh i guess democratizing the value because if, if you build the mechanisms of the systems um in the, in the correct way then those selfish desires should benefit and like stabilize the system in the long run so uh, just trying to be cognizant of our time. I know you've got a, a time cap here. I uh, want to briefly talk about solvency, and then I want to end on novelty, just because I think there's a lot of novelty with Silk and, and uh, CDT. But as far as solvency, right, when people think of, uh, like my first thought is, all right, what is your collateralization uh, that you're requiring for these stable coins? If you're, uh, you know, one-to-one, 100% -one, collateralization, um, You've those are like your fiat backed USDC USDT. Um, then you've got partial collateralization where you can actually be like slightly uh, under collateralized, like Frax. You've got your I guess a in quote simple over collateralized like Dai, um, Silk USK, um, and I, I believe CDT would be in there. Then you got like over or extra over, <laughs> I don't even know what you would call this, yeah. uh, extra over collateralized, like Jajed model or like ZSD is an example. A lot of people have been talking about Zeph recently. Um, and then you have like algorithmic stable coins like uh, UST. And there's a whole slew of info we can kind of discuss relating to solvency, but like 
from your perspective, what, what are the most important things um, you think users should consider when looking at um, stablecoin solvency? Um, yeah, so there's like two layers of solvency. So the first layer would be um, the solvency provided by the protocol. So what capitals does the protocol have um, to allow you to redeem um, the stablecoin uh, at PEG? That's the important part. Um, the, the protocol doesn't need to own the capital though. So like, for example, over collateralized stable coins don't own the capital from the, um, that the borrowers are depositing. Um, and then the second layer is the market or the liquidity pools, uh, basically wherever the stable is traded. So like, let's say this is, I mean, this is more or less how UST work, but let's say the first layer has no capital on it, but somehow the LPs uh, are trading the, the token one-to-one um, -to, -one to their peg. Technically, technically the protocol is insolvent, but it doesn't affect the users at all because um, there's a market to trade the stable and redeem it at peg um, for some external, external money. Um, so I guess in UST's case, the first layer, they tried to make a separate market. So like the robust model of CDPs uses um, exogenous uh, collateral or money outside of the system that's creating the stable um, as capital that people will use to gain trust or, or build trust to redeem against. Um, to basically guarantee solvency and like the um i guess the less the less robust model is using using the market value of a token um to to guarantee solvency which is a problem because if that token loses value then you now have no solvency um and the the the, the example i gave where layer 1 has no no capital and layer 2 has um has a market that's redeeming at peg will, won't happen so like <laughs> that that's that's not a possible scenario so if, if layer zero or layer one has no capital the market will never um it, it will never it will never be created like it will never uh it will never accrue trust there won't be liquidity because the people um providing the, the liquidity are taking 100 percent risk um so yeah basically I guess the, yeah, you 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 want you want something that backs the stable, um, and then you want something that that acts as like a barrier to the backing, so that the backing doesn't need to be used if it's not necessary, which gives you multiple, uh, I guess, solvency guarantees. Yeah, I think that that that's awesome for a baseline um, baseline understanding of like what's important about collateralization as far you know when i think about collateralization or think about solvency you know simple thing to look at at any given point in time is like what is the value of the collateral relative to the value of the debt that's issued uh, against that collateral and um anything over a hundred percent is solvent um but or technically solvent, but really you want it to be a little bit higher than that because that's a, if you're at 100% collateral or yeah, 100% collateralization, any change in the value of the collateral, um, like any depreciation in collateral value relative to debt is going to 
cause you to be under collateralized, which is, um, you know, not great from a solvency perspective. Um, but one of the other things I think about oftentimes is looking at like concentration of collateral. Mm, yeah. Like how much of the collateral backing is in a single token. Uh, thinking about unpriced externalities, and this is more present when you're thinking of like centralized uh, collateral backing. So like the possibility of blacklisting, um, <clears throat> the regulation of particular types of collateral, um, you know, potential exploit, like for using bridged assets. Um, so thinking about like, how can you isolate these different risks um, in relation to their concentration uh, within the collateral backing? Um, but one of the things that I think about most, and I think this is pretty applicable for any, any Cosmos-based stablecoin, is like how much collateral liquidity is available, um, meaning like how much liquidity is there for your accepted collateral outside of this uh, system that those participating in liquidations can sell this collateral back to um you know back to this stable coin of, of choice right um so I, i'm not 100 percent sure you said cdt has similar liquidation mechanism as orca which is awesome i i fucking love orca yeah uh, i think that's <laughs> i think that's kuji's best product in my opinion um but you know like let's say uh just give like an example Let's say Silk, like there was 25% of all ST Adam in existence was collateralized uh, to borrow Basically. Silk, right? And then, and then only, let's say 50% of ST Adam total supply is available in liquidity um, across all various exchanges. Um, so as someone liquidating collateral, uh, if, I'm, if I'm the per person... Uh, buying this collateral at a discount, paying off your debt, I'm going to likely look to, unless I'm wanting to speculate on the value of this asset, which some people do, and that's what's great about Orca, yeah. uh, because you can choose what asset you want to uh, you know, help liquidate. Um, but in the event that you know, you're like with Silk, right? We're the pool of Silk that is used to pay back debt um, in exchange for discounted collateral. We're that silk can be used for all vaults, right? Um, and so currently one of the things that I think about is like in the event of some sort of mass liquidation, right? Where are the trading venues and what is the depth of liquidity that um, can be used to facilitate the exchange of this liquidated collateral back into silk, right? Um, and in the cosmos in particular, because, well, <clears throat> Because, because we're proof of stake and so much of the atom, just thinking about atom here, so much of the atom supply is locked up, bonded, right? And then you have, um, and then you have a small percentage of that that's available as native liquidity, and then you have some of it that's available as uh, liquid staking derivatives. Some of that's just being held, some of it's being borrowed, some of it's being um, provided as liquidity. But anyways, TLDR is like. In the cosmos, if you're looking at ST Atom and its relative liquidity, you know, ST, like my thoughts are ST Atom is great collateral as long as there is really deep liquidity in like core fiat. Core. So, like, 
ST Atom USDC pools, um, or ST Atom in your like for us ST Atom Silk, right? Um, if we were using something like concentrated liquidity, currently we've got uh, constant product pools uh, for our Silk Atom. Uh, we we're bringing on uh, or we're going to be launching Trader Joe style liquidity book later in uh, or early in 2024. Um, but before that, you know, we're still working with constant products. So we're looking at, you know, when I'm considering this, I'm looking at external markets available in the cosmos. Um, it's like, what's the available liquidity? What is, um, what can be sold at any one given time? So anyways, I'll end my rant here on the collateral liquidity part, but that's something I personally think of when we're thinking about, uh, it's not directly related to solvency, but like when you're system is tested battle tested in you know really shit situations like trying to model out like how are we going to perform how can we better prepare our systems to be ready for these things you know oh yeah i don't know if you have any thoughts i actually have um i do have a a pretty related point um it's one of the it's one of the biggest reasons why okay i guess there's a lot of reasons why usd failed but one of the biggest reasons why usd uh failed is because almost all of its liquidity, um, all of its stable liquidity, like USDC, USDT liquidity, was um, on Ethereum across the chain or across chain on pretty much multi-sig bridges. So it's a lot of risk and it's um, it's a lot more friction for users to get there. So the people, so once USD, once US, UST pegged, most people didn't try to come back to Terra in an orbit um yeah most people didn't come back to zero to orbit so the peg just kept dropping they ended up just going to sexes and um and selling it so the peg just kept depegging when terra had enough capital at the moment to recover the peg so that's one of the things that's important or that's um a benefit from ibc is that like when we make stables here we can we have larger guarantees, like you were talking about collateral um, or liquidity that the collaterals can liquidate in. We have like more guarantees that collateral on Osmosis, Shade, and Kujira, or not collateral, liquidity on Osmosis, Shade, Kujira will actually be used um, by the liquidators in case of some kind of um, uh, cascade, cascade of price. So it's not, we're not um, secluded to one chain at a time. Which which adds a lot more, it's a, a lot more solvency guarantees and um, yeah, it actually allows it allows like sovereign sovereign chains to add more or different collateral types even if they may not have the best liquidity for it. So yeah, just uh just IBC superpower. Yeah, yeah, and I mean you still you still need to assume that, well, if you've been in the cosmos for a while, you you've seen instances where IBC can be slower um, or can fail at times, um, which is why, you know, local liquidity is also very important. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So it's it's super. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Right. Um, And then we've also got tools like squid and TFM now that make it even easier for you to, you know, exchange these collateral back to fiat and then loop back through. If you've got like a stable, stable pool, loop back through that pool to be able to um, basically close your ARB loop or close your uh, liquidation profit loop. Um, 
which is awesome as well. And that's something I'm, I'm personally really looking forward to it on our side is like further integration with TFM and squid to be able to help this out. We're also going to be, um, you know, once we get, once we get traditional concentrated liquidity for what would be traditionally constant product pools, um, for things like silk and these collateral liquidity, we'll, we will have to rely less on IBC. Um, IBC will still be super important um, because, you know, people selling, they're going to they're gonna be looking for the best rate. And there might be a point where even your local liquidity, if it's, you know, super concentrated, might be exhausted um, and you need to be able to look for additional markets. So IBC is definitely a superpower here, but it's also something we need to be cognizant about that it's not necessarily a save you in every situation. Uh, so just like from it, and this goes back to what I, was, I think about risk all the yeah. time. Uh, these are the things I think about. I mean, yes, it's, it's important for stables. It's basically all risk. Yeah. Uh, so I know we're, damn, this hour flew by, but uh, I do want to talk about novelty a little bit. Um, and I'll let you take the floor here talking about some of the novel aspects of CDT uh, tricks, because you know, a lot of the other stable coins that are currently available, well, there's only really three others that I know of, USK, IST, and uh, USC. Um, but those are all generally, you know, pretty vanilla CDP, USD peg stable coins. Um, so is there, give us a little bit of info about like what makes CDT really um really novel uh yeah so uh, yeah so i i think uh cdt is pretty unique uh in the stablecoin market even if you uh even if you go to like other chains um because basically so most stable coins or most people know about stable coins they know about the stable coin trilemma there's decentralization stability and capital efficiency um the cdp model which seems like the most robust model um is a combination or a focus of decentralization and stability. Um, so that's what that's what DAI more or less pioneered. But the problem with DAI is they saw that they were running into capital efficiency issues and uh, trending over peg. So they added a PSM, which allows for one-to-one swaps or yeah, yeah, one-to-one swaps with um, fiat bats collateral. Um, so this adds cap, uh, capital efficiency but it more or less degrades all the decentralization you have other than the fact that you have decentralized collateral. Um, because for example, if USDC gets blacklisted from the PSM, um, DAI owns that. So they can't, you can't, there's no argument that those are users funds. Those are makers funds. Um, you see, they, they have those, they sent them to circle or whatever. So, they have custody over those funds, which means they, they will get blacklisted at some point. And it also means that your peg is more or less um, one-to-one with whatever you have in your PSM and in, in your one-to-one swap mechanism. Um, so your stable will depeg with USDC as it did. So like as a Cosmos example, DAI and IST um, both followed the USDC depeg um all the way down to 0.89 cents i don't know ist has like more restrictions um and they're trying to add more for like better collateral so 
I, I don't say I won't say this is how it goes for them uh, going forward. But like Dai had like 60, and now I think has 40 percent um, USDC. Um, so yeah, they're they're pretty they're pretty aligned with that. But basically, where I'm going <laughs> from here is that the like the optimization that it's kind of like the holy grail is getting decentralization and stability, or, or focusing on decentralization and stability while still um, enabling enough cap capital efficiency to scale, um, to scale and keep the the token pegged. So the main uh, the main innovation there is CDT does accept fiat uh, based stables, but um, they're used as collateral, so they can be liquidated. Um, they can be liquidated, and it's not um, what do you call it? Like we're not we're not following we're not following USDC um, price or risk um, like one to one. This is um this is something that really only this is like a risk profile that's really only possible in Cosmos because. Noble, the way Noble blacklisting works is that you have to blacklist entire chains. So if you have USDC that's liquidatable and let's say Osmosis is blacklisted by Noble, people will start selling or bridging. Well, no, they can't bridge it back, but people will start selling to tokens that can be bridged off. And as USDC price decreases because people are selling it, um, yeah, it'll get liquidated. It'll get liquidated on the protocol. Um, so that uh, we'd be able to dump off that risk as it as it starts falling. The only problem with this is since you do lose capital efficiency, um, the peg would be over pegged most of the time, um, which is also which is also another reason why having a floating peg is is um, is important because if you want to decrease um, the amount of fiat back collateral you're using. That you need to you need to have other mechanisms for stability. So in this case, um, the floating peg would uh, directly influence um, the LTVs as I brought up earlier. So we can have other ways to influence uh, supply without minting it ourselves. Um, so that adds to the stability. And then uh, we talked about liquidation pro uh, pools earlier. Um, and their relationship to solvency. But another thing that is a benefit, and you, uh, you alluded to it a little bit, is that with liquidation pools, um, there's, there's, a larger, there's a larger variety or uh, diversity of users that are actually depositing in them. Um, in the future, I'm I think most vaults will end up using them as like a, an extra yield mechanism. So, the, the collateral should be even more um, distributed. But the point is, in, in most liquidations, um, the collateral is getting liquidated and then sold on the market um, automatically because liquidators aren't going to speculate on a huge chunk of collateral um, for the most part. Um, so this means that if you have liquidations that go through pools of other users' capital, any, any of users um, any users that are holders or that want to speculate or that just not, or maybe they're just like inefficient and they don't sell the moment they get the, the capital because it's, it's just sitting there. Um, it'll help the, it'll one, help the market price of the collateral not cascade. And it, it'll also help the amount of collateral you can actually liquidate. Um, 
so yeah, that this just helps this helps general risk for the coin, and it also um, helps uh, distribute, I guess, discounted collateral to the ecosystem, and um, a lot less, a lot less um, like sharp vol volatility during liquidation cascades. So that's just yeah, that's another benefit. Um, I guess all the every other thing. Uh, well, yeah. Well, the other things that are mostly novel aren't that user facing. Um, so they'll, they'll just be specifically about stability, like the dynamic rates I was talking about earlier, or the redemptions. Um, the most the most user facing change um, in membrane is that you can bundle. Is that you can bundle multiple collateral in one position. Um, so like that's useful from just a, a pure management standpoint. You don't have to manage a bunch of positions, but like you can also you can also do like different things. Like let's say you want to leverage you want to leverage in TP, but you still want to you still want to reduce the risk for the leverage you still have. You can just deposit that that stablecoin into your into your vault. Um, so it just decreases the volatility of your position, and this is great for like. Let's say you have like a hundred a hundred CDT position, and it's a bull market. So yeah, you, it's like all volatile, but it starts if if like if the prices start getting more. Um, why when I said volatile, I mean like let's say the, <clears throat> let's say the position was like all all Osmo, but you know you think the price is going to start going down. Instead of trying to like trade your way. And well, like instead of trying to repay your debt, maybe you're not in a position to repay your debt right now. You can just, you can, um, or maybe you just don't want to repay the debt. You can swap the Osmo collateral to something different. So let's say you want to swap it to like Fiat or USDC. Um, you could do that, and now you have a more, a more stable position value in um in a market that you think is might be choppier. So basically, bundles just allow you, just give you more flexibility um more flexibility in general for your credit positions um and yeah as you said like most people won't use um like the flexibility and the like the adaptable mechanisms of all stables but if you're if you can't adapt um you're going to be in a in a bad position when you need to so yeah yeah yeah, that's a fucking awesome way to uh, finish that. That's one of my favorite things about about Silk. Um, for for Silk, novelty is slightly twofold. Uh, well, I guess the, the first major novelty, in my opinion, is peg reflexivity, reflexivity, which is being able to update that peg composition in the event of any sort of regulatory, monetary policy, or just like underperformance pressure uh you know uh for a particular part of the peg uh the, the and you know that's that that's as much a, a safety mechanism as much as a privacy or sorry uh safety mechanism as much as a purchasing power preservation uh tool to use that second novelty is privacy and you know it's one of a handful of private stable coins that exist today i can only think of Three off the top of my head, and that's <clears throat> XUSD from Haven Protocol, ZSD, which was very recently created by Zephyr Protocol, um, and then Silk, uh, which is uh, created by Shade Protocol. Um, XUSD and ZSD are 
both using uh, sort of like Monero's privacy tech stack. Um, it's a, a bit more rigid uh, in what you can do with it. Um, like sure, it's private and sure, it's uh, stable, uh, or at least right now. Um, but there's, you know, not a whole lot you can do with it outside of that, like its ability to be used in commerce and um, ability to be used in, in financial markets. Um, but yeah, so like, interestingly enough, it's, it's Silk is the only private stablecoin that's sort of interoperable in DeFi on its own chain. Like you can provide liquidity, borrow against it, lend it, um, you know, as well, as well as other things. But just like with XUSD and ZSD, Silk loses its privacy preservation features when it leaves its native chain, which is the secret network, which is why it's so important for us to be able to have a um, a decentralized economy for users to be able to, or decentralized financial economy for users to be able to um, take this private stablecoin and actually do utilize it um, to be, you know, to be able to earn or be able to create financial positions uh, that they want to. So it gives people a lot more flexibility. Um, and from our perspective, this is really interesting because while some of these other private stable coins have existed, um, you know, it represents a really unique opportunity for Silk because as, as these other private stable coins um, come out, it, it puts more eyes and ears on like the value of privacy. Um, and still to this date, Silk is, has, been a, has been the only one to be able to maintain those fundamental properties of money, like your unit of account, medium of exchange, store of value. Um, and uh, so, like, from our perspective, Silk still represents this, like, novel world's first, um, uh, world's first tool of its kind. Um, but it's, you know, while, while we may focus more on privacy and reflexivity, I personally think it's awesome that there's other groups like Membrane that are really wanting to kind of push the boundaries of what we consider, like, an optimal stablecoin, because, not going to lie, like, Shade, Shade received a ton of pushback initially when we were proposing the idea of this um, floating peg. Like there were a lot of people who said, you know, oh, the market's not ready for it. Or, oh, you know, like your concerns of regulatory monetary policy risk or, you know, like so, so, I guess some of the other arguments that could be loosely made, um, you know, against Silk's design relative to uh, prominent stable coins in our in crypto right now. Um, but it's been interesting to see some of that narrative play out and seeing what works, what really resonates with people and, and what doesn't, um, which helps us educate people a lot better. And so I guess one of the, one of the things I want to ask just uh, as we round this out, um, I want to be respectful of your time is like, one of what do you think the most positive thing people have responded to about CDT? Like what, let me make sure I said that right. What are the most positive aspects of CDT that people have uh, publicly responded to, if that makes sense? Yeah. Um, I think people, I mean, I don't think anything, um, uh, well, I mean, yeah, it's, it's hard. So like a lot of the things that people uh, responded to or like po positively responded to aren't really in action right now, but like, the uh the dynamic rates and um just like the general community focus um like direction of membrane 
people seem to like. Um, but like I was gonna say, everybody likes loopy yield bearing assets. So like the fact that we can add um a bunch of assets into the same uh position with bundles um is is always attractive. Um <laughs> I know you asked me a specific question, but I do wanna I do wanna say something about um about pe people pushing back on you uh for, for silk. Yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah because it's kind it. of funny um, that none of the like realistically none of the none of the leading decentralized quote unquote decentralized stables are like low risk at all. Like, I, in my opinion, there's 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 a huge a huge gap in the space because most of them most of them will end up insolvent. Like, I tweeted earlier that like the like 100% of the top decentralized stable coins will be pegged to the USD. Um, in five years, and that's not because like they're gonna change their peg. It's because they're most likely gonna be insolvent because um, most of them are just like entrenched with the USDC, and there there's space there's there's room for um, there's there's room for new for newcomers like Silk um, and CDT because those stables are honestly pretty high risk. Um, so yeah, I'm glad to see we're having some innovations, and I'm glad to see that one of them is private. Um, because yeah, we definitely need some privacy too. So yeah, yeah. So uh, one one final question. You know, I know CDT is still in its early adoption phases. I'm not sure what the what the total supply is right now, but um, you know, are you guys interested in primarily building liquidity on Osmosis, or are you looking to try and build liquidity outside Osmosis once you guys hit a certain, let's say, just like TVL of uh, stablecoin LPs? Yeah. Um. I mean, initially, the focus is uh, is on osmosis, just because, um, just because that's most likely where our, our well, our initial user base is going to be is going to need osmosis wallets and stuff. So that's just great for user experience. But I definitely think we need uh, liquidity in other in other chains. But doing it too early is probably um, it's probably a waste. So I don't know what the threshold would be. Um, but yeah, to start, definitely gonna focus on osmosis. I mean that's fair. I mean, but like Silk is at uh, last time I checked, it was like three point eight million. USK is like two point five, and and still Secret Network and Kudir respectively are by far the largest uh, homes for yeah. yeah that native stablecoin liquidity. So that makes sense. Um, but you know, obviously <laughs> we both have plans for things to grow <laughs> and better to think about uh better to think about it and consider it now than be caught with your pants yeah. down uh, later in the future. But um, but yeah. Thank you so much, Trix, for for coming on and talking with me. I think this was great. Uh, I I definitely learned a lot, um, even though I think about stablecoins yeah. all day. Um, yeah, I, I really appreciate this, and I definitely want to do some more of these in in the future. And we can we can talk about more specific topics. Talk about I mean, shit. There, there's all sorts of stuff going on. <laughs> but um, yeah, I really appreciate you. Uh, Join me today. This is an awesome conversation. Yeah, I had fun. I mean, I love talking about stable coins, so I'm always down. Appreciate it. Well, with that, we'll wrap this up. Hope you guys have a great rest of the day. Uh, I'll reach out to TerraSpaces and I'll get the recording of this, and and we'll make I'll make it available for people who want to listen into it. So yeah, hope you guys have a great rest of the day. I'm gonna go ahead and close this down. Talk to you guys. Thanks later. for coming.
somebody mints your stable and there's nothing back in it, it's insolvent. Motherfuckers screaming out loud, looking for mercy before they find themselves working a corner down in Jersey. What could be worse? Misrepresenting the first come first serve mentality stuck in the burbs. I'll be numbing up first before discovering what works, and we'll see what other kinds of trash is under the dirt. We rape and plunder the earth, sit and wonder about the worth and plate. Ring around the rosy while the thunder is served. Motherfuckers walking around here looking faceless, trying to make a living selling friendship bracelets. Dead ants dragging out the max amount of payments. Red down days got them acting all bankless. Yo fam, what? Check these token knocks. They probing this bear, flexing broken knives. I had to lay my soul down. I'm just roasting knives and then the end a long day. Eleven bowls of chronic. Never known the politic. I was born to frolic. It's been my policy to pollinate all over the plot. We got a lot of apologists jumping in at the top. We like to measure their velocity. Before they hit rock bottom over impossible loss It's all moss and I'm liking the odds Fond doing the morning forming mycological bonds Click the cap though the road is highly involved Flip a coin diary falls Motherfuckers screaming out loud looking for mercy Before they find themselves working a corner down in Jersey What could be worse misrepresenting the first come first serve Mentality stuck in the burbs I'll be numbing up first before discovering what works And we'll see what other kinds of treasures under the dirt We rape and plunder the earth Sit and wonder about the worth and play Ring around the rosy while the thunder is served Trying to figure out the max amount of dinner lace Stacked in non-toxic just to get a better place Smacking on the hostage like the shit is play for keeps Clowns white knight and all these Maybellines They call it implausible when model after model keeps on Ripping off the coat and going full throttle beats Tearing apart your community All these low hanging fruits bearing zero liquidity Got a planet in reach coming standard to each I'm on the back ten stargazing after the siege Commanding all the management to grab a few seats And then we'll round up the beasts and send a messenger east Y'all better sign a release when I'm bumping these beats Hands up if I got motherfuckers drumming the streets Yo, we got a few dubs, we got a couple defeats And if you're coming for the king, you better have some of each Motherfuckers fuckers screaming out loud, looking for mercy Before they find themselves working a corner down in Jersey What could be worse? Misrepresenting the first come first serve Mentality stuck in the verbs I'll be numbing up first before discovering what works And we'll see what other kinds of treasures under the dirt We rape and plunder the earth Sit and wonder about the worth and play Ring around the rosy while the thunder is served Tempest Spaces <laughs>